Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 16 of the Corona Diaries. Um, Steve H has just done something weird with his eyebrows on screen. Uh, kind of a kind of a welcome to you all. It's all, uh, it's all you can see. Bit... It's all you can see because I've got this big pop shield. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, you're just looking at eyebrows, aren't you? And they, I'm just looking at eyebrows. Trying to interpret, Roger Moore-esque. interpret my mood from how they move around and the dulcet <laughs> tones. <laughs> but you are more Roger Moore than Dennis Healy, aren't you? <laughs> yes, but that's only because I plucked them. I mean, if if I didn't pluck them, I'd look like fucking Patrick Moore by now, because I have, you know, I'm at that age now where they all just they they grow out like tarred ropes, coming coming out my skin constantly, out my ears and down my nose, and you know, without the tweezers, I I would just look like some kind of I don't know a shrub, it'd be just shrub. A, sh- a shrub with a mouth. <laughs> a shrub with a pop shield. Uh, um, do, sh- do shrubs need pop shields? How are shrubs bad for sibilants? <laughs> Shrubberies. Shrub. Shrub. No, I think you'd be shrub. all right with shrub. You did, shrub you'd you'd need fine. a pop shield for the burr. But you might yes. be all right on the sibilants for the sh. Yeah, it's yeah. Okay. So you tweeze then, because I, I use my demon. beard trimmer. I use my, I just I I kind of you know when you get a bit that sticks up, I just yeah. get it with the with oh, the little. That just encourages bit. them. No, oh, does it? The, yeah, that's like pruning a rose. They just come back stronger if you, if right. you cut them. You've you've got to pull them out. You've got to discourage them. Right, because yeah. I, I I pull out nose hair. <laughs> what a conversation! <laughs> <laughs> but that just makes my eyes water. <laughs> you sexy motherfucker. Okay. Have you never? Uh, have you never done that on the motorway? Never pulled out a stray nose hair that you've seen in the in, what, the, the, wing, in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. Makes... You know, if you catch one in your eye and you catch it on the mirror, and you think, "Oh, I better get rid of that because he's hanging down," and then you nearly swerve because your eyes water. What are you doing, looking at yourself in the mirror when you're driving? You're supposed to be looking at <laughs> well, your yeah. back. That's, right. that's that girl thing again. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a lot of angry letters from the ladies. Don't Purple start that. Ladies. Well, you've had some of that this week. Yeah, on uh... I've I've made some generalisations, and I've been pulled up. In no uncertain terms. Yes. For my references to girls liking rom-coms and not liking Apocalypse Now. And I've had a lot of messages going, I'm a girl and I like Apocalypse Now and I don't like rom-coms and how very dare you. So I better not get on about girls looking at themselves in rear view mirrors. No. Had I? No. And doing their makeup on the M40. I hate to sound a bit, no, I told you so, but I hate to sound, you know, sort of holier than thou but i did say that i liked pretty woman so I, i'm probably a little bit immune from it yeah yeah yes probably yeah, probably just... well you said well to be fair you said you liked pretty woman did i yes yeah. in the diary you said you like pretty woman yeah. so i think you're all right yeah well what's not to like no no you're clutching a cup of coffee because i i understand i've been told that that you had quite a bit of gin last night i'm on tea actually how was it tea? Uh, because I, I, I religiously have two cappuccinos first thing in the morning. One doesn't do it. I have to have two in rapid succession that, that sort me out. And I've had those. But then if I right. have more than that, I, I, I get a headache and feel dreadful. So right. I've had me two, so now I'm on tea. I can't have any more coffee or I'll get the G-clamp on my head. Um, right. But I did have quite a bit of gin with Phil last night. Phil Brown came over, our esteemed sound man and wearer of heavy silver jewellery, always good value at airport security. And because um, <laughs> he, he gets there and they go, you've got to take all that off, and he goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what to do then because nobody ever says no. And you could see them think, oh, shit, no one's ever said no. 
what, what, what do I do now? And they go, well, no, you absolutely have to. And he goes, well, I'm absolutely not. What are you going to do? And then in the end they go, oh, all right, then go through. <laughs> and that always happens. Apart from once in Berlin, and we were going through an airport in, in Berlin, me and Phil, and they said, you'll have to take that off. And he went, no. And they went, what? And he went, I'm not taking it off. They said, but you've got to. He said, well, I'm not. And they said, come right this way. And they hauled him into a room <laughs> and they did a complete number on him. Um, but that's only once in all the time I've known him. And the rest of the time he just goes, no, no, I'm not taking it off. <laughs> As opposed to Pete, who probably would take his jewellery <laughs> off, but gets pulled anyway. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Phil. So Phil yeah. was round for a drink. Ah, so this Phil is- was round, yeah, just because he's bored. He's been right. living, living in London now through the lockdown and he's bored out of his skull because he, he hasn't got any work, he hasn't got any gigs, you know, he's got nothing to do. He's done all the jobs around the house that he'd always been meaning to do and he's you know his wife's given him a long list and he's got to the bottom of it and now there's now he can't think of anything to do he has no more boxes to tick which is always dreadful and um and so he said you know he started he started visiting people just out of sheer desperation and he's scraping the bottom of the barrel by visiting me <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so we drank a lot of gin and we talked a lot of rubbish um, and he's he, he's he's just gone, and we were talking. Mm. What were we talking about this morning? Over, oh, he was talking about. Well, I can't say what he was talking about this morning because it's. It, I, I would be breaking the official secrets act. Well, not yet, would you? You might be in the future. But no, but there's no point in becoming a spy if I'm going to tell the world he's thinking of becoming a spy, is there? No, no. So we just so need I'm to not, make sure we I'm don't say, say the word spy. <laughs> He said he's thinking of becoming a spy, and I said, what? I, I said, you're going to have to look a damn sight less conspicuous if you're going to be a spy. You know, I mean, he, he sticks out like a sore thumb in any room that he's in. Um, mm. He's not a natural blender, in a No, uh, not a blender. Know, no, I don't know what he's going to do. But, he, you know, he could go for the double bluff. Mm. Being know. obviously so... Yeah, obvious. The one person in the room who couldn't possibly be a possibly spy. be a spy. Mm. Mm. So I don't know. He's, he's he left this morning and he's gone to spy college for right. re, retraining. So right. we've really all got to got to get this rock and roll thing going again as a matter of of urgency now. Because if we don't, then then you know Phil will become a spy, and and I can't imagine what happened to the country after that. <laughs> So it's on each and every one of us for for, for the our patriotic duty. The United Kingdom is to play gigs soon. Yeah. It's I, I, do you know what I've started watching Spooks again this week because um, oh. it's on the iPlayer, and I thought I really enjoyed Spooks, so I started watching it again. I'm halfway through the first series, and actually the first series is really really good. Uh, quite shocking in places as well. The bit where the she gets her arm put in the deep fat fryer is horrible. Mm. Um, but I don't see anybody looking like Phil on there. You wouldn't need spray tan after that, would you? Uh, no. You don't see anyone looking like Phil? No. No, no I'm sure you wouldn't. And, well, not a lot of people do look like Phil apart from, I don't know, in, in, in I don't know. I've never seen anyone apart from him. Sometimes, though, like you know, Phil. when you go to a fairground and, and you're on the dodgems with your girlfriend and that bloke jumps on the back and leans yeah. over, chats your girlfriend up. Yeah. You know, and you think I'm not. You know, I, uh, I would, I would, uh, I would object to this, but he'd probably kill me. Yeah. Occasionally, you get a Phil Brown sort of person that you know. Phil kind of fits that description. In fact, we once did a gig in um, Leamington uh, at the Ac- Academy, is it? And they've got a really interesting dressing room full of objets d'art, and, and one of the one of the objects in the dressing room at um, Leamington Academy. Is it Academy? I don't know what it's called. Anyway, gig at Le- Leamington. They've got, a, they've got an old 50s uh, Dodgem car in there. And I got, I got Stephanie Bradley and Pete to actually climb in and pretend to be lovers while Phil leant over menacingly from behind, right. le- leering. And leering. Took a, and took a photograph of it. Because I'd, I'd always said, well, Phil, you you are that guy that 
chats people's girlfriends up on dodgems. So I have got a photograph of Phil fulfilling that role. But do we think there's much opportunity in the Secret Services for that kind of undercover work? <laughs> You're there if we need somebody undercover on the dodgems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sort of a, a Brad Pitt in, uh, in Snatch sort of character. Yeah. yeah. Harry Kabler from my mouth. Yeah, I, I mean, who knows? Who knows? I don't know much about spies. No. Well, this is the longest conversation I've ever had about spies. Yeah. Really? I love that. The Lucaro stuff. I'm a big fan of uh, John, John Lucaro's writing. Great writer. Um, so, yeah, we were talking about films. I, went, I was going to... Oh, there's a phone ringing. Oh, there. the phone's going. Is that allowed in a podcast? Sorry, I don't know, folks. but if that's MI5, we're really in trouble. <laughs> They yeah. wouldn't ring first, would they? I don't know. I don't they, they, yeah, they might. They might already have a you know something trained on the windows. So mm. when I cross the room to pick up the phone, boom! So I'm not moving. There's nobody up a telegraph pole looking like they're doing routine work, is there? A milkman's not gone well, past, has he? There's only Mossad, but they're usually up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's nobody <laughs> else. <laughs> now, since Mossad's mentioned in one of the previous podcasts, they've been there ever since, haven't they? Um, but. Uh, <laughs> I genuinely got, um, and I'm not joking aside. I genuinely got, you know, a little bit paranoid after after we'd I'd written and we'd released Gaza, um, because I I came up the street one day and there was a there was a black Mercedes with the tinted windows and everything outside the house, and this very kind of slick looking lady got out and started taking photographs of our house, and then got back in again and drove away. And I thought, oh shit, a break. Mossad. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was a little bit, oh, maybe that's just one for the file in case uh, in case I step any further out of line or say any of the trigger words into the Amazon Echo while I'm having my coffee. <laughs> the longer this podcast goes on, the more life, my life is being indelibly marked by you somehow. <laughs> I'm... I- I'm becoming an accessory to to what? I'm not yeah. quite sure. Oh, they'll have opened a file on you by now, mate. Oh, God. So anyway, here's a question there. Because Phil Phil works for the band um, and has done for a number of years now, hasn't he? That, that, that vest has been present at many shows. Yes. Um, but he also does all the, the natural stuff as well, doesn't he? He does, yeah. I mean, he started off as a monitor man, and he was a great monitor man. Um, and I met him. Because I was I was uh, I was doing that last H band tour, the one that Andy Gangadine played drums uh, on, and we all piled into the. In fact, we recorded the the t- we did two nights at Dingwalls, and we recorded that and released a live album called Live Spirit Live Body, a double album, um, and that was recorded at Dingwalls. And when we got into Dingwalls, sure enough, there was Phil Brown. Put helping us to put the gear up, and he was the in-house sound man at Dingwalls. And it's quite a small room, and there was Christ knows how many of us. I think it was eight people in the band, and cello and tablas and things that are just difficult to mic up anyway live because tablas are a nightmare because by the time you can hear them, they're going through the PA. Um, cello's a bit the same. So it was a, a right job of work to make the H band sound good, and uh, he did. Um, and after, you know, at some point during that, maybe after the sound check, I thought, oh, this guy's really good. Um, I had a word with him and I said, you know, do you do other things? Um, and uh, he said, yeah, you know, he does other things. Yeah. Spying, working on the background. Dead, you know. dead drops, <laughs> bit, bit of surveillance, and and so uh, he became our he became our monitor man. Um, we were looking for a monitor man, and uh, I gave Phil the gig, and he did a few festivals with us, and then did and then did a tour with us, and he was just great. And then one day he turned around. I think our out front sound man was kind of thinking of knocking it on the head. We had a guy called Roderick Brunton who used to do out front sound. And Phil said, uh, you know, in, in, in a typical Phil Brown sort of way, 
I can get you a better out front sound than that. You know, ecky thump. Now then. Um, and Roderick was leaving anyway, so he said, let me do it, let me do it, let me do it. Let me do the out front sound, let me do the out front sound. And he said, well, you're such a brilliant monitor engineer. We'd be stuffed without you, Phil. So that's the problem. And he went, look, if I find you a good monitor engineer, can I do the out front sound? So he said, all right, deal. And he found us Nick Todd, and Nick Todd's the best monitor engineer we've ever had. So it worked out really well, you know, and and Phil, despite being deaf, gets us a very good sound out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> his, his words, not mine. <laughs> For the record, Roderick was a lovely fellow, though. And, oh yeah, um, and, and Rod was a really nice guy, and, 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 and I thought yeah. a good sound engineer. To be fair, yeah, he was a great uh, sound engineer. But he'd had enough, and it, yeah. his girlfriend was living in. I think he'd got married, and you know, mo, mo, his girlfriend was in Norfolk, and she was. Mm. Oh, she had a job. She was. Um, she was a psych. What do they call them? Psychiatrist or clinical psychiatrist working in, um, you know, proper prison murderers mm. murderers wing of a prison. Um, you know, listening to the inner thoughts and workings of of absolute nut jobs all day. Now that's a gig. Uh, but you, you know, especially for a, I don't want to be misogynistic, but especially no. for a woman, you know, listening to a lot of hard nosed, murderous nut jobs. I mean, it's a bit Silence of the Lambs, isn't it? Mm. So um, anyway, maybe she, maybe if Roderick had been coming back and telling the stories of the band, though, maybe that was a bit of like relief for her. I don't well, know. well, no, we never got anything out of him. He was very discreet. Whether she mm. never told him, I don't know. But anyway, that that was it. Rod, Roderick had sort of had enough and, and wanted you know, a change in his life, and Phil climbed into the saddle and has been there ever since. Mm. And that's how that that's how Phil Brown came to work work for us. And obviously, then, as I say, he he does all the stuff with you as well, though. So, the, so the two of you are often—it's almost like a posh interrailing, isn't it? You just bundle yourself into a car with a piano and you go off around the world, don't you? Yeah, we became we become good friends because of that. Because it's just, when 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 we do H Natural tours, it's just me and him, mm. and we've got, we've got some great sort of memories of of mad things that have happened to us during those H Natural tours. Like, I mean, just going to South America last time, you could write a book of our of our of, of our flight. We flew Iberia and we um, we arrived a bit late. Something happened and we were oh, that's right. We went to check in and and it was British Airways, but it was an Iberia flight that British Airways had booked. So we we arrived at the check in desk, put our passports down. It was really busy for whatever reason in the terminal, so we'd, we had already had to queue for quite a while. We got to the front and they just went, yeah, Iberia are handling this. And we said, yes, we know. And they said, oh, you've got to check in over there. And they sent us right up the other end of the check-in hall at Terminal 5. And then we got there and then there was this family uh, of, of, of Spanish folk who were busy trying to resolve some irresolvable problem you know, while we stood there and they went, the guy scratched his head and the kids were playing murder and a woman kept going away and coming back and rooting around her handbag for more documents while we stood there looking at our watches thinking, it's getting a bit tight, this. Anyway, we finally got checked in and it was one of those uh, flights that that you've got to get on the train to the other little satellite Mm. terminal. Mm was one of them so that added another bloody 15 minutes to the whole thing and we we got there and we went running up to the um to the gate and they said we've closed the doors you can't get on it and it was a flight to madrid changing planes and flying on to sao paulo so if if we missed the flight from Heathrow, we were stuffed we'd missed the flight to sao paulo so oh christ what are we going to do? So we're trying to trying to convince them that they have to open the doors and let us on this plane, and we're going mental. And then this woman pointed out that that wasn't the flight we were on, <laughs> and that we we were at the wrong desk. 
So, um, so, so I'm busy throwing an artist singer's hissy fit. Um, only Surely to, not. Uh, only to be told this isn't it anyway. Oh, thank God for that. So, well, where is it? She said it's gate blah blah, which was the other end of the t- other end of the gate terminal. So he said, "What time is it?" Oh, we're all right. We'll go to Starbucks. So we went. <laughs> <laughs> we go to Starbucks, and we we. Phil orders a pink milkshake and I order a, a, a cappuccino. And he's about to sit down. I said, you know, we, maybe we should go up the other end of the terminal and then at least we know we're there, you know, and, and we'll be all right. So, so that's a good idea. So we, we walk up the other end of the terminal. There's nobody at the gate. It's just empty. I think, oh, I don't like the look of this either. So we go to the desk and they said, we're just about to shut the doors. Where the hell have you been? <laughs> oh, Christ. So we... We um, and we get to we we get to the the open door of the aeroplane. Um, Phil's still got his pink milkshake. I've still got my cappuccino, and we're trying to hold this stuff and the hand baggage and everything. And he's got this pelly case, this big, this green hard pelly case that he takes everywhere with him. He doesn't check it in because it's it's full of it's full of all the, all the show essentials. So it's got the DI box, all the stuff that if he'll, the luggage gets lost. You can still do yeah. the show. Still do the he's show. learned over the years that you can't compromise a show just because somebody loses your suitcase. So he carries it with him. And he's got this this pelly case. We get to the we get to the door of the aeroplane, Iberia, and this uh, the guy this guy at the door of the aeroplane said, "You can't you can't take that on the plane." He says, "What do you mean I can't take it on the plane? Oh, you can't take it on the plane. We're 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 too full. We're not allowing bags that size on the plane." He said, "Well, you allowed me to check in and bring it. No, it can't. Go. It's got to go in the hold. But we'll give it back to you when you get off." So I went, "Okay." So I reluctantly gave it to them. Then we fly to Madrid. We get off the plane, and they've sent his pelly case to the baggage carousel. <laughs> and we've got to, and it's a tight connection. We've got to fly to Sao Paulo. And Madrid Airport is humongous. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's huge. It's that one with the wavy wooden ceiling that uh, Richard Rogers designed. Um, so Phil's going to spare, which means that he's got to go through passport control and go out and do the whole thing and stand at the carousel, wait for the bag, then check in and come back. And it was a different terminal. Um Meanwhile, I get off the I get off the plane. I get on a little courtesy bus and trundle to this other terminal. Get off. Walk to the end of this terminal, and 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 there's a queue of people waiting for the Sao Paulo flight, and they're getting on, and Phil's just gone, and I'm standing there thinking, well, what am I going to do? I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wait until the very very last person is on this flight, and then I'm going to go to the desk and I'm going to go berserk. I'm, I'm going to throw a fit like no one has ever seen and they're going to have to call the police, <laughs> you know, and I'm ready. And my, I was really ready. I'm ready for the police. I'm ready for a major scene. I'm ready for a SWAT team. I'm ready. <laughs> and um, so the last person gets on this 747 to Sao Paulo and I think, right, and I boil my blood up to about 200 degrees centigrade. And as I, and as, as I walk forward, at the very end of this, this wavy, wavy terminal, about as big as a dot, I see the sweating, hysterical figure of <laughs> Phil Brown, <laughs> bright red, <laughs> on the travelators with this bloody bag coming towards us. Thank God for that. And, it, and, he, and he got... He, he got to just before they closed the doors. And I've honestly, I'm not exaggerating, I genuinely feared for his life because he was crimson and he didn't look well. <laughs> he was so stressed as well. His, you know, his, uh, uh, his eyes were bulging out and he was, I mean, he was sweating and he looked ill. And, then, and he finally got sat down on the plane about three seats behind me and I kept turning around to have another look at him to check he was still alive and that he hadn't had a seizure. Um, then we flew to Sao Paulo. I mean, this is before, this is before the tour, which was very colourful anyway. We, we, we flew to Sao Paulo. We arrived and the, the promoter was waiting for us at, at the airport and my bag never came out. 
I'd got two bags. I'd got a, a suitcase, and I'd also got I'd borrowed a, 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 a very swish Louis Vuitton holdall, which which Phil Brown took the piss out of mercilessly the moment he set eyes on it. Um, and I, I'd just got all the I'd got a load of CDs and merch in that, and then I'd got my suitcase, you know, all my clothes that are my actual touring stuff. That never came. And we stood at this this baggage carousel for like an hour and a half and it never came. And the Louis Vuitton never turned up. <laughs> and after a while, Phil said, I'm just going to go and look around the hall. So he he went off and had a, had a, a wander around this enormous baggage hall and he came back with the Louis Vuitton. <laughs> I said, where did you find that? And he said... It was under a flight of stairs in the corner. I said, what the hell was it doing there? He said, I reckon somebody was nicking it. So um, I got that back and then I formed this queue and they got to the front, you know, where you form a queue to say your bag's lost. And I spoke to this lady and I got, fortunately, I got the bag tag, which normally I've lost all of those before I ever get anywhere, but I, I still had it. And I said, um, you know, here's this bag tag. And she said, oh, just... Brazilian woman, she sticks the numbers in a screen. She said, oh, it's on another plane. I said, it's what? She said, it's on another plane. I said, well, how's it gone to another plane? She shrugs her shoulders. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so she said, but you're in luck. I said, why? She said, because it's about to land. I said, you're kidding. So she said, go to that carousel over there. It should appear in about 15 minutes. And it did. So, so you know, after, I mean, after going overnight, hardly any sleep, arriving in Sao Paulo at sort of 8 a.m. in the morning, we, we then had to stand in the baggage hall till 10 a.m. just to get the bags. You know, we were dead on our feet already. And that was the be beginning of it. So... And and then the other interesting things, but it's a whole podcast. This the the H the H natural tour around South America. I mean, an airline ceased to exist at one point during that tour. We went. We, well, I was just about to interrupt because I was going to say, aren't we going to do that? Haven't we? We've kind of we've planned to cover some of this in the odds and sodcast. We should. We? we should. We yeah. should. I should tell the story about the airline that ceased to exist, and the and the van in Argentina. Across the right. Well, campus. why don't we save that? Why don't we? Because we've been on a while. Why don't we save that for another? We'll, we'll put that in a Corona diary rather than a a, a, a a Patreon one. Okay. So remind me to ask you about about the airline that didn't exist in the van. Yeah. And we'll and we'll yeah. do that. In fact, let's tell you what. Let's do that in next week's. And the check in. Keep it check in, fella at Rio Airport. Ask me about him as well. That was right. Well, tell you what. Next week we'll carry this story on. Then. So we, we've just we've got you to say you've got to San Paulo. You've got your bags, um, and we've got other stuff to go. Uh, and for and for those of you who don't uh, support the show and and therefore don't follow us on on Patreon, we do, uh, and we've told you this before, but I'll tell you again, we do this thing called the Odds and Sodcast, which is an extra piece of content we do once a month, and it includes unpublished diary. And yeah. you did actually write down some stuff from this ill-fated trip, didn't you? So did I, um, did I write something down? Oh well, I got. You, have a look. you told me you had. You told I, me you had. I've forgotten what I've written these. I know I did Japan, uh, and I yeah. haven't read all that. Yet. And we're working through Japan at the moment, aren't mm. we? Um, <clears throat> but we'll keep we'll keep some of the Sapala the the Sapala stuff for um, for the odds and sods. But we will we'll finish this off then next week and do and do the airline that didn't exist and the guy on check in. Mm. Um, right. Okay. All of this is stemming from Phil wanting to be a spy. Is it? Is that what? Happened? Well, it's, that's where we started, right. isn't it? Oh, yes, because it came and the gin and the, it was the, and the tea gin. that started. It was the gin. I was having a mug of tea, and that led us on to gin, which led <laughs> that us led on us to on Phil. So dodgems and <laughs> I know it's the dodgem thing because <laughs> you're right. I can see him producing a flick knife from his or uh, from his boot. Exactly. Um, exactly. There is a whiff of the. Of the circus about Phil, the yeah. whiff, a whiff of the the caravan. Yes, there is the whiff of a caravan. Um, <laughs> you could probably capture that. Periwinkle blue. Uh, right. Um, 
I have to ask, mm. because when we left last time, you were going to go and get a pallet from the racket club because oh, uh, uh, Lynetta's into building pallet furniture. Mm. Um, but you were also going to get your sleigh bells. Oh, shit, I forgot that. Oh, I forgot the sleigh bells. Because we, we're going to go to, we're going to travel off in time, back in time to diary, and mm. it's Christmas 1991. I'll go and get them. I'll go and get right. them and I'll make sure that they, they happen. There's some sleigh bells on the diary reading. I need to write this on the palm of my hand. I'm going to write sleigh bells on the palm of my hand. Oh, yeah. You can hear, if you listen very carefully, you'll hear the scratching of the sharpie against the palm of my hand. Yeah. Sleigh bells. There we go. And I'll find that written there in the morning and I won't know why it's there. Or if you hang around long enough, somebody from Mossad will drop you a set off to save you the trouble. Yes. Yes, they might. Hang on a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear them approaching. <laughs> Thinking about it, would Mossad have used for sleigh bells? <laughs> it's the right part of the world. <laughs> You're probably right. Um, right, well, let's go back in time then. We'll go back in time to Christmas 1991 uh, and, and hear about a Hogarth family Christmas. Sunday, 22nd of December. Home. Dave Crawshaw, my oldest friend from Doncaster, he used to live opposite my mum and dad's house in Wheatley Hills, came yesterday. He'd been visiting his brother in Oxford and so he popped over. We spent the morning chatting, catching up with our respective lives, etc. Sadly, I don't see Dave often enough, but when I do, it's like no time has passed. We had lunch down the street in the Beehive, our local pub. He drove back in the afternoon. Monday, 23rd of December. Had planned to take Fifi to the Watercress Railway again to Santa Land. In the end, we didn't go as there was still shopping to do, so we went to Windsor. Fee said she'd rather go to Old MacDonald's anyway. Tuesday, 24th of December. Last chance to do my Christmas shopping, so I went uptown in the car and had a blast round Harrods. Bought Diz a purse, but decided against a coat in her absence. Better to come with her and she can choose. Drove over to Fulham to Christopher Ray's lighting emporium. Diz had made a few noises about a nice bedside lamp. Didn't see anything I liked that I could afford. Stayed up late wrapping presents. Wednesday, 25th of December. Christmas Day. To our surprise, Sophie didn't appear in our bedroom until 8.30. Has Father Christmas been? she inquired. I think it was all a bit unreal to her. I brought her bulging pillowcase back into our room and she opened her presents on our bed. The biggest hit was, of course, the headband and hair clips. Dizzy Spell bought me a dressing gown black with white paisley markings, which is really nice, and the new Robbie Robertson CD. We went to the beehive for a half at one o'clock and then came back and took the turkey out of the oven and had Christmas dinner, accompanied by Dave and Sue's white wine. The rest of the day was spent adjusting Fee's various hairdressing accessories and attending to Nile. It was strangely pleasant to be on our own on Christmas Day for the first time. I'm glad nobody came calling. Thursday, 26th of December. Stayed in bed until 12-ish. There was chaos in the kitchen. Fifi had knocked a jar of black paint water all over the place. Diz was spitting rivets and trying to mop it up while the doorbell was ringing. I thought I'd better get up. It was my sister Sue with husband Mick and young James who had popped over from Merton with our presents from the family in Doncaster. The day was spent eating, drinking and watching telly took them out to the green for a swing just before dark at 3.30. The Sarah ball fell off the wall and is now a bit skew-whiff, aided, no doubt, by James and Fee's bed bouncing upstairs. Sue and Mick left around 7 o'clock. Friday, 27th of December. 
went up to town to buy Diz a coat, parked at EMI in Manchester Square in the garage below the building. No one else seemed to be in the building except Ray, the doorman, who was a top chap. Walked over to Selfridges, day one of the sale, clutching Nile. We forgot the baby sling, but they didn't have anything she liked. We gave up and went for a crepe and a milkshake. Diz eventually found a fabulous red coat by Sidney Smith opposite the restaurant in St Christopher's Place, so we bought it. Saturday, 28th of December. Stayed in bed till 12, again. By the time I was up and about, Dizzy was on her way to receive a Christmas massage at the local health studio. Couldn't get Niles settled, so I loaded Hargreaves and him into the car and we went to the chemist in search of drugs to bung up the girls' streaming noses. We've all got colds. Niall woke up whenever we stopped, so I drove around Virginia Water, Sunning Hill, etc. Got back around 1.30 and drove back through the village to maybe catch Diz on her way home. We did bump into her outside once, the ironmongers, and I took Fifi to the sweet shop and bought a paper, then back home. Niall slept for most of the rest of the day. Fee watched Mary Poppins on TV while I wrestled with the car's hire purchase agreement stuck the legs back on a chair and cleaned behind the oven. Diz went to bed early and I stayed up with Niall, who did what he does lately and stayed up till midnight before nodding off. Chuck Berry and Keith Richards were on the telly. Amnesty International are celebrating 30 years, so I watched a bit of a concert on ITV and scribbled this. Monday, 30th of December. Stayed in all day, Tried to do my accounts in the afternoon whilst Diz took Fee off to town. Niall couldn't settle, so I got nothing done. Mum and Dad were coming in the evening, so I popped into Egham to buy Dad a CD for his birthday tomorrow. Andrew, in music-wise, said he'd been listening a lot to Holidays in Eden and wanted me to sign a copy. I found a cassette of recurring dreams in the shop. They must have had it for ages. He gave it to me as a present when I told him I'd never had a copy. I bought a Telemann CD for Dad, spent the evening eating, drinking and guessing with the folks. Tuesday, 31st of December. Happy birthday, Dad. Had a lie-in after a terrible night up with the kids, got up and sat about in the afternoon and finally finished my accounts. Took Dad out at 7.30 for a pint in the beehive, it being his birthday and all. Came back at 8.30 and we all went to Ian Mosley's in Gerard's Cross for New Year's Eve drinks. All the band were there apart from Steve and Joe who were probably up north with family in Bolton. Chatted with tour manager bus driver Ray about fishing and we arranged for him to take me fishing on Thursday for carp and chub with luncheon meat. I'm really looking forward to it. Had illuminating drunken discussions with Angus, who designed Air Studios, about what Carp might do and think during their long lives. The world, according to Carp. We reasoned that, as they can live for hundreds of years, maybe everything happens at double speed, just as perhaps the opposite happens with mayflies, who might experience a long lifetime as time is slowed down to a crawl during that one day for which they are alive. Fifi lasted very well and was going strong until around 1.30 when she fell over, banged her head and promptly went spare. Lisa said she'd heard DJs on Capital and GLR saying good things about the band, so perhaps we're getting the message across. Anyway, I've rarely been in a house full of people having a good time and being able to say that every single one of them was a diamond character. It was a great evening. Unfortunately, I was driving and couldn't get sloshed. I had a beer when I got in and went to bed. 1992, Wednesday, the 1st of January. So, here we are, 1992. I wonder what will happen this year. Maybe I'll get famous, or maybe we'll split up, or neither, or both. Had a lie-in, 
got up, had breakfast, put a shirt on, and we left Niall at home with my mum and dad while we drove to Richmond with Hargreaves to go to Cinderella at Richmond Theatre. Fifi enjoyed it, but Diz and I weren't terribly impressed. Too many badly delivered corny songs. I liked the ugly sister's dresses. As long as Fee enjoyed it, I'm glad that we went. And she did. So I am. Drove back and went straight to Windsor for tea at the Dome Cafe. The Dome's really gone to the dogs. They didn't have half the items on the menu, and the menu's not a patch on what it was. The waitress said she'd just found out they haven't got a restaurant licence, so they couldn't give us alcohol on a bank holiday in the afternoon. We had a coffee and decided we'd go home to get an Indian takeaway. Went to Old MacDonald's and bought Fifi a cheeseburger and chips to take home. After dinner, we watched Imagine on the box. I'd videoed it on Christmas Eve. Went to bed at midnight, well, ten past, as I'm fishing tomorrow. Thursday, 2nd of January. Up at 9.30 to let an estate agent in to value the house. He reckoned about 95k, so we hired him. Here we go again. Ray arrived at 10.30, so I borrowed a pair of Dizzer's tights and wearing several shirts and a sweater, set off to Raysbury on the Thames to do some fishing for the first time ever. Paul Owen, the European sound man and tour manager, used to talk about taking me fishing, and it turns out that Ray's been fishing with him on days off from Metallica tours, because Paul's now doing monitors for Metallica. I bet they looked forward to those. Within five minutes of sitting down and casting, Ray caught a good-sized chub. Much to my delight. We both had a go at holding it, but sadly neither of us had thought to bring a camera. We put it back in the river where, I suspect, it had a word with the boys. Don't touch the luncheon meat, lads, because we never had another bite all day. Got home around 3.30 with numb toes and helped myself to a Lafroig for medicinal purposes. Mum and Dad left around seven and later called to say they'd arrived home okay. Diz went to bed around ten and I stayed up with Niall and watched U2's Rattle and Hum, which, I think, is filmed to capture the band's performance and does so really well. I admire U2 for their uncompromising honesty and their inherent cool. Bono's a great rock singer. He does get a bit much sometimes with the God thing and the God's gift thing, though. And we're back. Um, and that was that was Christmas 1991. Uh, and, it, and how beautiful it sounded. What an idyllic scene you paint. Did I? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, very, very much so. Um, the thing that struck me had nothing to do with Christmas. And that was this chap, Ray, who took you fishing. Yeah, he was our bus driver. Um, you know, and, and he'd, he'd, he'd driven the tour bus during that holidays in eden tour and when when we're on the road i sometimes sit at the front and watch the road you know next to the driver and we just talk about all sorts and i usually say well, who have you had on you know who who, who have you who have you had on the bus and um you know they'll say oh well i had the the bloke who sets up the pool table for ron wood and keith in case they wanted to play pool and he had a bus to himself, you know. Um, so, so, I mean, when the Rolling Stones tour, they've got a guy who has a tour bus to himself and his job is to, is to put a pool table in the backstage area and take the rest of the day off and then take the pool table down and make sure it goes in the, in the correct truck, okay, at the end of the evening. And that, I mean, uh, so, and then, you know, and then on another occasion I'd say, who, who have you been driving? He said, oh, I was driving Lady Gaga. He'd go, oh, right, what's she like? He said, I don't know, she never got on the bus. And he'd driven this bus right around the Europe. Um, 
you know, between every Lady Gaga show and the next one, in, in case she decided she to, to go on the bus. It. Yeah, and she never got on it once. He never even met her. <laughs> he said, I never even saw her. <laughs> so it's incredible the way some people tour, you know, the outer controlness of it. There was probably so many trucks and so many buses, nobody had even noticed that this this extra bus was, was, was there. She probably didn't even know she could get on it. Uh, you know, if nobody told her, they'd probably told him that, you know, they'd hired a bus for her and they probably hadn't told her she'd got one. Um, <laughs> She's wedged in with the crew. <laughs> now she was just in a limo. Um, oh, that's not as much fun as a bus, is it? No, absolutely not. The woman hasn't lived. Do you like sitting up front with the driver then? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I love the, the open road and what, what, watching it, you know, watching it roll and nattering the, nattering the bus drivers about their experiences because they're, they're often much more interesting than the artists, you know, mm. because they, you know, they've been snowed in in Switzerland or gone, you know, gone through some mountain pass or other. And um, they've, all, they've always got, you know, stuck on ferries or whatever. You know, they've, they've got a lot of interesting stories. Uh, and they can, you know, once you get them loosened up, you can you can get them to spill the beans about various artists they've driven as well. You know, it's always great, great fun for a bit of scandal. Um, so I love do to you, sit up front. Do you think Ray'd fancy a podcast? Is it worth it? Worth me approaching him? I could track him down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I I ran into Ray. I mean, I've lost touch with him completely, but. Um, but I did run into him at, um, about about a year or two ago at um, Aylesbury Waterside Theatre, and I think he'd driven a truck there for us. And uh, he came. He said, "You don't remember me, do you?" I said, "You're quite right. I've no idea who you are." And he said, "I'm I'm I'm Ray. We went fishing." I went, "Oh shit! Yeah, of course we did. Yeah, how are you?" Um. So so anyway, he was the bus driver. And I think at some point driving through Belgium, where it was where it was raining because it's always raining in Belgium, um, he we got talking about fishing, and and the correct way of fishing, and and he he said you can't go wrong with a bit of luncheon meat. So I said, oh, not really. And we used to have a sound man years ago called Paul Owen, <laughs> and he was a character. And um, he, I think he used to go fishing with luncheon meat. So it, so it rang a bell. I said, ah, I've heard this before about the luncheon meat. And he said, yeah, we should. He, he said, uh, he said I, I love fishing. Where do you live? And I said, I live in Anglefield Green. You know? He said, oh, some lovely stretches of water around there. I said, we should go fishing. <laughs> and he said, I'll come and get you. So sure enough, he turned. He turned up. He turned up that morning at some insane hour, like half past seven, because you've got to go early, because mm. apparently you're more likely to get lucky first thing in the morning. And uh, it was never do it, never do it. It was so cold. We were, fr- you know, it was December, of course, and um, it was freezing. And I put on quite a lot of clothes, but evidently not enough. Uh, and he caught a fish and I didn't and we sat there all day I've never been so cold or so miserable in my life so the romantic idea of two guys just sitting by a river uh, you know relaxing and fishing no I don't get it never do it I'd never do it again it's 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 in my it's in my my drawer with Greek holidays things never to do right I'll come back and ask you why I'm Greek holidays. I'm not going to ask you today, oh, but I am, I am. I am. I am going to ask you. That. So it wasn't. It wasn't a uh, White House and Mortimer moment. Then you didn't. No, no. It was didn't. just. Uh, it was. It was like White House and Mortimer. The, the bits they probably edit out, right. where they sit there for hours, doing, doing nothing, being frozen stiff. I mean, I don't. I don't think they were out fishing on on properly cold days, were they? No. Um, White House and Mortimer. I made the I mistake of thinking December would be a good time. Yeah, I'm. I'm spotting the flaw in your plan. If I'm, but, I know it's easy to say that in hindsight, but and I think I could have forgiven the entire process if I'd caught something. 
Then at least I could have gone home going, whoa, I caught a a chub Mm. or whatever they're called. Mm. Um, But Ray caught one. But then, as I say in the diary, I think when he threw it back, it went and had a word. (laughs) You know. I I love that bit, had a word with (laughs) Had a word. Yeah, had a word and after that, no chance. Yeah, avoid the lunch and meat, lads. I thought that was really funny. It, it, I so I I uh once twice a year I will I will go fishing. So I've oh, got right. I've got a little bit of stuff in there, rod and reel and what have you. But I like it just to go on my own. Just right. to go and and I do go early, to be fair. You, he's right about that. If you can be up and out at sort of five thirty six in the morning. Mm. Watch the sun come up and take a flask of coffee with you. And I have to say, I do like a jam butty as well when I'm when I'm fishing. Right. But just just, and I'm not bothered if I catch anything. I just quite like the idea of three or four hours absolutely well, to myself. It's sort of meditation thing. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. A zen little thing. bit. Zen fishing. And, and and the whole thing of watching the float for hours on end, and that little sense of excitement when it occasionally mm-hmm. moves, but yeah. it gives you something to actually focus on as well. And it's better so, than telly. Yeah. Yeah, you know. yeah. Never, I never got into the Xbox or anything. It's a, so. it's a reality show of its own, isn't it? The, the float dipping up and down. I maybe we ought to, too. maybe we ought to do a, a, a we'll do a, a TCD out, out we, by the side of the lake. Maybe I can do a, a pilot. I, yeah, reality persuade to, fishing. Persuade you to have one more well, go at they, it. They've already done it though. What is, well, what, yeah, what but am not, I on not, about? <laughs> not, not like the way we'd attack it. I mean, what about yeah, a I program mean, where people, you know, do kind of ballroom dancing and there's judges? That that's a winner. Why don't we do that? That'd work. Yeah. Or what about a song contest where different countries in Europe come together in a in a big disco? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Anyway, we we we're digressing a bit. Yeah, aren't I'm we? Di- I'm digressing. Yeah. We went fishing and uh, I was put off. I think. I, I think next time I go fishing, if I ever do, I'll do that thing where you you you, you do the you get on a boat, you know, off in, in California, and you've got one of those special chairs that you have to sit in with one of those special rods that's fastened to the deck, and you know, and you have marlin and things that leap mm. out of the swordfish that leap out of the water and dive back in. I could probably be, you know, persuaded into that. If someone who oh. knew what they were doing uh, and and was was happy to have me as a guest and not charge me anything, um, oh. then then I I think I could be inveigled into that. If someone was mixing pina coladas, see, I was going to offer you the Chesterfield Canal and the Bovril, so it's not yeah, it's not working, is it? Mm, I'm going to get back to you. Okay, fine. Yeah, I think I right. might be washing my hair that day. Washing the hair, <laughs> doing my roots. I knew it was going to come back to that. Right, well, we're about there, you know. We're about done for. Oh, have we been interesting? I I, I worry that we haven't been interesting today. Um, I don't think it really. It's not for us to say, is it? No. Well, look, I'd just like to say to you, good people, if you're listening, and we weren't interesting, we'll be interesting in the future. Um, Yes, we will. Well, but I mean, but I mean, the the trip to Brazil and the luggage and the Louis Vuitton—that's fairly interesting, isn't it? I think I think Is we've it? been all right. I don't yeah. think we've been bad yeah. today. I think we we'll come back around. to that the Brazil thing next time and finish that story mm. off. I think that's that's and what it does talk about is a um, little bit of spoilers. But you did mention the H band, and we are going to get round to the H band. We've that's one of the things we've said we're definitely going to get to the H band at some point. So we've got that to do. So mm. that will that's going to feature in over the next few episodes. I think because I imagine there's a lot of a lot of H band stuff to talk about. Yes. Yes, I could talk about somebody. Someone in one of the messages said, "You know, how come Aziz Ibrahim wasn't on the album, mm. uh, as though I deliberately excluded him?" Um, so I, I can explain how I came to meet Aziz and how how I met Stephanie Sobe Jones, the cellist, and how mm. it all sort of how they all coalesced. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. So hang, so hang around, folks. So there's more Brazil next week, and then we'll probably work our way on to H-Band after, after that and, the, and and all that kind of malarkey. And then don't forget, we are also doing a live one of these uh, during the Couch Convention. We are. We're going to go live. We're going to go live. 
So, how do we do uh, that? Do you know how to do that? I, I haven't. I haven't. I'm, I'm hoping inspiration's going to. I was hoping Lucy had sort it out. To be honest, someone will uh, sort it out. And make it. It possible. will happen. It will. Well, yeah. by then, of course, Phil will be in the pay of Her Majesty's government, so he won't be able to help. So no. um, it'll have to be somebody. Uh, maybe the guys from those two guys outside from Mossad. Maybe they know how to do it. I'll have a word. Yeah. They're listening anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, you don't need to have a word. They'll come and tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will wrap it there. Uh, and I'll I I'll speak to you next week, I suppose. Okie dokie. Okay. And it's Crooncast, isn't it? It's Crooncast. I will I will croon. I will croon very soon. Right. Um, croon very soon. I'll carry on through. If, if you haven't heard your name mentioned yet, it's almost certainly because I'm going through the names in the order that people became subscribers. And so, you know, if you didn't really get onto this until early July or what have you, you won't have heard your name yet. But your name's coming. And if I get to the very end and you still haven't heard your name, then send me a really rude message and uh, I'll do the ones that, that slipped through my spreadsheets that I've never mentioned before. My day job. <laughs> Never mentioned before, no. But also, we had loads and loads of people signed up at the beginning, didn't we? We had loads of people sign up in a very short space of time. So it's possible you've signed up really early and still not heard mm. yourself because there were quite a lot in a, in about a three or four-day period. Um, yeah, so but I am going through them chronologically. Chronologically. Cool. Well, we'll see who we get next because that is just about to kick in, folks, and we will we'll talk to you next week. We shall. Thanks for listening, crazy kids. See you soon. Thank you, Wendy Baird and Rich Corstan, Mark Hindley and Matthews Hub. Thank you, Phil Coon and Manuel Melissa Aubrey and Joseph Thank you very much Graham Orndorff and Denise Shaw Gary Waller Felicity Bragg Cheers Mike Thorne and Caroline Sheeran Steve Evans and Garrett Haynes Thank you Craig Rust And Stephen Small Polly Peterson And Sonia Delilo Delia Elizabeth Page or Page and thank you, Oren Hurts. How you doing, Oren Hurts? Thank you, Jason. You had and a man who calls himself the Glorious Dead. Daniel Pershkins and Anna Karina Guerrero Capo. Thank you, Trishard. Leave it. Gary M. Francesi and Raymond Colberta and Patrick Cleesby. Thank you, Ray Sutler. Yeah, calling out Simon Stuthard. Bob Fritch. Norman Umberger. David Renoir. Lee Shepard, Andrew Bilberstan. James Bender and Y.R. Correas. Darren Bullock. Thank you, Ivor Ellis, Peter Montague, Paul Marchetson, 
and Christian bread. Those sleigh bells getting on your nerves yet? Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>